So hi everyone. So last week we began our teaching series for this term called Ecclesia. Um, if you've not watched last week's message yet, um, like pause this now, catch up on that one, because everything we're going to do this week is going to build on the foundations of what we talked through last week. And we, we basically held two words in front of us. Um, as a church community, the word apostolos, a Greek word, meaning one who is sent with authority by another, and the word ekklesia, which means a community of people who are called out for the purpose of, of directing a city for its flourishing and life. We, we're using this series to articulate some of our core values as a church community, who we are, what we are passionate for, and who we feel called to be. But, but really, um, we are complete um, copycats and imitators in this, because really everything we're drawing is saying, what was the church of the New Testament? What did it look like? What do they value? How do we imitate what we see within the pages of the scriptures. And as I spoke into it, my guess is that that as you were listening, something stirred in you and something moved in you to think this just feels like something I want to be a part of. This just feels like something I yearn for. This just feels like something that, that I want. For the purpose of this talk, um, I'm going to call this instinct towards that kind of a church the apostolic instinct. The apostolic instinct. That kind of gut level intuition that this is somehow how church should be. That somehow when we think about church, it should be something this dynamic, this adventurous, this generous, this radical. Because something within us just starts to kind of hum and come alive and ideas and, and, and boldness and the longing for adventure just starts to rise up in us. But what we've got to say as we kick out is how does this compare to church as you've seen it? So I grew up in a Christian home um, and uh, my parents are amazing. They're, they're some of my best friends as well as my parents and they raised me in an environment of faith. And I went to a good church. We had great like kids workers and then youth leaders and so on. And um, after I made a commitment to follow Jesus myself at 17, um, I started to gradually get into a little bit more leadership stuff um, and... Um, and I think probably brought a lot of like passion and energy kind of to, to what I was doing. But after a little while, started to feel like um, just a sense of frustration and, and a growing sense of disaffection with, with what I was a part of. And, and whilst sort of being mesmerized by this man Jesus who I read about in the scriptures, often had an experience of, of church which felt like this just feels somehow tamer. Or this somehow feels more um, introspective, or this this sometimes feels manipulative, or superficial, or hypocritical, or you will have your own range of words. I think you probably know what I mean. And and along the way, I saw friends who started to say, "Look, we love Jesus, but we can't be bothered with the church. So let's just leave the church thing, and we're just going to live radical lives on the margins, impacting society." I have I have dear friends who said, "Actually, you know what? I'm just going to sack the whole thing in altogether. Um, if if this is what the church is like, I don't want a part of it." But something in me just 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 felt like there is something so beautifully mesmerizing around who Jesus was. And when you dig into this, this book, this vision of life and community and what it could be like, 
that I felt there's got to be something. As a, um, as a worship leader who is dear to our hearts at Anchor Song, there must be more than this. There must be more than we've seen. And, and we see like this such a wonderful thing in the scriptures. Felt like we've got to start to articulate this and go after it. After a number of years of kind of processing these frustrations, something began to build for me and, and Lydia, my wife, around this, this vision for what it could be like. And a number of the different kind of ideas and stories and experiences and scriptures just started to come together. And I woke up one morning and sat down in, in September 2014 and opened my journal and just started to write, like, what are we longing to see? And I wrote out some words which, um, which we read out um, uh, to the Anchor community as it was, um, as we just started to explore the journey together in January 20, uh, when was it, January 2019. Um, so there'll be fresh words to a lot of us, and they some of you might just ring a bell, but I wanted to read them to us um, today. I wrote this. The vision is Jesus, to love him and to live in his unforced rhythms of grace. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit fueled in prayer and warfare, undermining the structural and personal work of hell among people, especially the most broken, to see their holistic salvation, healing, transformation, liberation and participation. It is to partner Jesus in building a sacrificial and interdependent community and a community of communities that pulsate with love, honesty, forgiveness, and being conformed to Jesus in the real questions and issues and pains and joys of their lives. It is to learn to wor worship and pray corporately, intimately, expectantly, joyfully, freely, and with eyes that perceive the ever-present potential of his beautiful kingdom. It is to see communities transformed, economics reversed, poverty contended, drug addicts restored, prostitutes beloved, asylum seekers honoured, single people and families finding belonging and family together, the hungry fed and orphans drawn into our homes. It is to see material simplicity and yet celebration of beauty and goodness. It is to embody prophetic generosity with our money, possessions, people and gifts. It is to have a culture of love, creativity, respect, laughter, rest and Jesus pursuing focus in the leadership that soaks through the rest of the community. It is to espouse grace-modelled parenting, healthy lifestyles and ethical shopping, to be allowed an effective voice in society for justice, anti-trafficking, aid and development both locally and overseas, for peace and reconciliation in the conflicts of the world. It is to become a sending and receiving hub of missionary work, effectively and relationally linked to the nations. The vision is to see miracle bringers on the streets, in the offices and warehouses and shopping centres and back gardens of a city, inviting the Lordship of Jesus to transform the pains of the ordinary into his fullness. And it is to see oh so many join this vision of the pursuit of him, recognising in joy and clarity that he is alive, that he reigns and that he calls them to friendship, to sonship and to partnership in his cosmic work of healing. Amen to this. Come Lord Jesus. Does this stir something in you when you start to think about church that could be more like that? That stirring is the apostolic instinct. 
There's a well-known story by a sociologist and preacher called Tony Campolo. And, and he went to do some work in Honolulu. And he travelled from the east coast of the States to get there. And so he was really jet-lagged. And uh, so he was awake at three o'clock in the morning. And, and he was hungry. So he went out to try and find some food. And he found this sort of greasy spoon diner that was open and got himself a coffee and a pretty dirty sounding donut and sat down um, with his coffee and his donut and had a little chat with the guy who ran the place. It was called Harry. Now, while he was sitting there, a group of sex workers came into the same cafe and they sat down for, for a smoke and um, for uh, some food. Um, and whilst Tony was sitting there, he just listened in on their conversation. And he heard one of the girls, whose name was Agnes, saying, tomorrow is my 39th birthday. And the other girls were like, so what do you expect us to do about it? What do you want? A celebration, a cake? And she said, look, she said, I've never had a birthday party. I've never had a birthday cake. My expectations are really, really low. And after they'd finished, off they went. And Tony sat there and he said to Harry, he said, do those girls come in here every night? And Harry said, yeah, they come in every night. And Tony said, well, how about tomorrow we throw a birthday party for Agnes? And Harry said, that's a great idea. I love that idea. And he calls his wife, who's at the back, and says, come out here. This guy wants to throw a birthday party for Agnes. She said, that's a great idea. I'll make a cake. So the next night, they, they get there a bit earlier. They decorate the place. They, they invite, um, they get the word out. Pretty much every sex worker in the area comes in until this little greasy spoon diner is rammed with the sex workers of the city, with Harry, Harry's wife, and Tony Campolo in this place. And sure enough, about 3.30, Agnes comes in. And when she walks in, everyone shouts, happy birthday. They sing to her. They bring out the cake with the candles on it, and they bring it over to her. Now Agnes is so moved and so overwhelmed she just she just goes so still and just stares at this cake and Harry says come on Agnes it's your birthday cake blow the candles out and she looks at it for a while and then she says um, uh, then she, she doesn't blow them out Harry blows them out for her then they say okay Agnes cut the cake and she thinks for a while longer and she says I don't want to cut the cake. She says, is it okay if I take this next door and show it to my mum? <laughs> and they say, it's your cake. Of course it is. And so she picks up the cake and off she goes. And Tony Campolo is left, left there with pretty much every sex worker in Honolulu with Harry and Harry's wife <laughs> in this kind of awkward silence of what happens now. And Tony said, okay, let's pray. And so he prayed blessing and love and honour and life upon Agnes. And when he'd finished, he said, Amen, opened his eyes. And Harry walked up to him and said, Hey, you told me you were a sociologist. You're a preacher. What church do you go to? And Tony Campolo said, and this is in his words, he said, I go to a church that throws parties for whores at three o'clock in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. No, you don't. If that church existed, I would go there. Does that stir something in you? Does something in you move and say, that just feels right. That just feels more like what we've been dreaming of. That just feels like it stirs a hunger in my soul for what, for what life and the world and community and church could be. That is the apostolic instinct. There's a verse in Proverbs 16, 26. You've got your Bibles nearby. You might want to just pull it um, open right now. It reads like this. 
A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. This um, sounds like it is a um, verse written um, to someone who's involved in some kind of agriculture, and it is, but it's also a spiritual paradigm. The paradigm is this. Your hunger will mobilize you to action. Our hunger is meant to. Our instinct for what church could be is meant to draw us forward. When we are, when we are looking at, at what church is or has been, that is not going to lead us into disappointment and inactivity, but rather the vision of what it could be, the apostolic instinct for a church that goes with authority, that goes with love, that engages the margins, that is co- courageous in the things of the supernatural and the natural, that is meant to spur us on. Our appetite, our hunger is meant to spur us forward. This is Jesus' vision. This is ecclesia. This is a community of people sent out into the world longing for its redemption and its wholeness and its renewal. Remember our words from last week. Apostolos, those who are sent with authority, they make real the will and the culture of the one who sent them. This is the apostolic church. Remember ecclesia. Those who were called out, given authority to make decisions on behalf of the culture, that it may be blessed and that it may flourish. The church, we said last week, is built on the foundation of the apostles. That, that doesn't just set a paradigm for how we understand some elements of leadership, but that said there should be a culture in the very core of who we are that is engaged towards this sending, this engagement with the city, this movement into brokenness. The apostolic instinct then is the longing that is deep within us for the radical ecclesia of Jesus to arise in power, purity and love. It is the fire that stirs us to participate and the vision that enables us to dream. This is the apostolic instinct and is meant to stir something in us. So I want to just give us a little bit of time today as we just gather this and say you know what something something awakens me in me as i hear this something in me longs for this to be a reality something in me is just coming alive as i'm starting to see this appearing in our city and in ways that we are dreaming and imagining and initiating in ministry that is beginning and and, and starting and joining with work with rough sleepers in the city in vision for how we're engaging with asylum seekers in the city in in one and twos of you guys who are engaging with with people on the streets and saying can i pray for your sicknesses and us hearing stories of healing this is as the vision starts to move out but i want to name three things for us today three things which just help us to start thinking how do we build this into our culture as anchor church as we find our place within this and as always with jesus they are so simple and yet they take such um, boldness and often sacrifice to live these things out. The first is this, abide with Jesus. Abide with Jesus. Open your Bibles with me. We're going to go to Mark chapter 3. 
And um, Jesus has been um, busy in the first couple of chapters of Mark, and then he gets to chapter three, and he continues. He's healing, he's teaching miracles, um, uh, all sorts of stuff cracking off. But then he calls out these 12 guys, and he does something specific with them around this word apostle. Have a look from verse 13. We're just going to read three verses. And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Look at those little words in the middle. He appointed twelve, he calls them apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out. We often think about the sent out nature of how mission works, but actually in the paradigm of Jesus, it begins with simply being with him deep roots with him who loves our hearts a a focus before anything else upon him a focus upon him that spurs us into ministry that spurs us into activity that that sends us into the city from that place of friendship with him 1 corinthians 3 verse 9 says for we are god's fellow workers we are those who join in relationship with god to partner with him we're not those who just go and do it separate from him we're not those who sit back and watch him do it we are those who in intimacy and partnership do it with him philippians 3 verse 10 paul just longs out for i want to know christ that longing to know him deeply is just at the root of this apostolic drive john 15 verse 4 to 5 flip forward with me a few pages john 15 4 to 5 jesus the night before he dies is telling his disciples this is some stuff you've got to know and these are foundational verses for us and they are foundational verses for every christian Jesus says this, John 15, 4-5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, you can't make manifest the dream of the dreamer unless you abide in him you can't make make real the the longings and the vision of jesus unless you begin in the place of friendship with him the the mission the ministry the outreach it is all the overflow and the outworking of the partnership that begins by looking at his face by saying with the psalmist whom have i in heaven but you and the earth has nothing i desire besides you my heart and my flesh may fail but god is the strength of my heart and my portion forever that our entire beings long and direct towards him every day as i woke up this morning i just had this um kind of conviction but in a typically like god way that didn't come with feeling guilty but that came with empowerment and vision and I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me in the moment that I woke up, Chris, you've been you've been getting into this thing over the past weeks that where you've woken up, the first thing you've thought about is your to-do list. And you've been shaped around the number of tasks that are before you. And then what you do sometimes is you've got all this stuff to do. And so you ask me, Jesus, come and help me to do the tasks. He says, I want to invert the way you're doing it. I want you to get up in the morning and make me your number one thought, your number one direction, your number one intention. 
because actually when you do it with me, you then can do the tasks, but they're all something we are working on together. I then um, got the kids ready um, and with, with Lydia and all this stuff, and I took Eva, our three-year-old, down to nursery on her little uh, pink scooter, and, and we got there, and I dropped her off, and, um, and I was walking back, and it was just this beautiful morning, and, um, and I felt this recaptured closeness and connection and intimacy and friendship with him. And I thought, you know what? I've been missing this. As I've been getting up every day and I've been herring after what do I need to do today, I've forgotten about the Jesus who I want to be with today. I've been trying to be sent out all the time without taking the time to stop and be with him. I've forgotten to abide. And the joy and the beauty of walking back through the park with Jesus, the engagement with the things that need to be done, but saying, Lord, we're going to sit down and we're going to do these together. Lord, lead my priorities. Lord, be with me in all these things. That is where the, the, the whole life of the Christian and the apostolic church begins in that place of we desire Jesus. The apostolic instinct, first and foremost, is an instinct to abide in him. The second thing is this, catalyze the church, catalyze the church. There's a number of places in the New Testament that talk through different sort of spiritual gifts and, and the, the, um, the teaching of the New Testament says that when you become a Christian, you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit then brings out of you natural and supernatural giftings that are unique and specific to you and that bless the church. And sometimes what we've done with these is we've read these lists and we've thought about them as something which points inwards. But at Anchor, we've, we've been trying to just develop a language and a vision around spiritual gifting that is more of those who are activators of mission, or in, in other words, catalysts. Those who are within a community looking to stir up and release the vision and the mission of the church. You might be sitting there thinking, you know what, I think I've got this stirring gifting in teaching the scriptures. That's awesome. If that is you, then your job is, is not simply to educate the church in theology, but it is to stir the church with a mindset and a paradigm and an understanding of what it looks like to live in the kingdom and to be sent out with visionary imagination for the kingdom. We are training the people to see normal life differently so that when they move out into the city, they can see the city differently. You might be an incredible worshipper. If that's you, your role is not geared around a rotor towards a Sunday gathering or event or a YouTube video, but rather your role is to stir the worshipping life of the church, the ecclesia, so that as we walk through the city, we are raising the name of Jesus in the love of Jesus upon all the places of pain. We are to be a people not who, only who worship in the church community, but who worship there in order that we may learn to worship in the gutter and in the ghettos of society. You might be a fabulous administrator. That is a legitimate spiritual gift. Check it out in the New Testament. We need people in the church who know how to arrange us, who know how to build structures and contexts that are for, for working that are, that are honoring of one another. 
that are efficient, that are fluid, that are help us to operate well as the as the movement body of Jesus in this city. If that's your gifting, we stir it up in order that the mission of Jesus may flow outwards. The catalyst brings their gift to the center and says, we're going to use this to inspire, to mobilize, to equip, to send, to train, to encourage. There's something that happens in that church community as we serve each other with our gifts that builds each other up that we may go out with greater strength with greater maturity with greater vision with greater power the gifts of the people of God are catalytic for the mission of God that's how it works use your gifts bring them sow in and just see and watch and serve unto your brothers and your sisters moving into mission in the city the third thing is this we need to ordain our ordinary ordain our ordinary often what happens when people imagine what christianity is is they quickly go to thinking about um the 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 sunday kind of thing and we we do the worship thing on sunday but then normal life becomes um just very very normal but the vision of jesus over our lives is not that we live ordinary lives through the week and then do something kind of religious get together on Sunday. Rather it's that every single part of our lives becomes an element of his redeeming work of the city. We don't like minister on a Sunday and then meander our way through the week, but rather we we gather to be mobilized on a Sunday in order that we may do mission through the week. The, the way of, of Jesus and engaging the city is precisely through the normal ways that we day-to-day engage it. Um, Colossians 3, verse 23, says, Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord. That means that if you are a photographer, then you engage the city by saying, I want to celebrate beauty. I want to tell a different story over this place. I want to, I want to raise up through through the visuals, the, the ideals of honor and beauty and goodness through what I do. If I'm a teacher, I'm going to invest deeply in the lives of these awesome, beautiful and broken young lives to build their self-esteem, to encourage them. I'm going to pray for the staff team in the, in the staff room. I am going to I am going to honour the parents and their contribution to the lives of these young people. If you are in business, then you say, "I want to bring the culture of the kingdom into the business world of the city, for its blessing through commerce, through entrepreneurialism, through through culture that is empowering and releasing, and that blesses your colleagues." It is to say that the city may be built up and the economy strengthened through your commitment in business. If you are a student, it is to say, "I want what I learn to be part." with the Holy Spirit that his vision and his ideas come into my sociology, my geography, my history, my English literature or whatever it is you are studying. It is to love the person next to you and those who you live with. If you work in retail, it is to say, I want every customer who comes in here to be so blessed. I want them to meet someone who doesn't just treat them as uh, someone to get money out of, but who will journey with them with a genuine connection in that moment, who blesses my colleagues, who is the first to pick up the mop and the bucket if there's a spillage in the store. The kingdom of Jesus comes through ordinary Christians living with extraordinary vision in the very normal things of the day-to-day lives. 
we could apply this to pretty much any activity that we are looking at through this week. Leslie Newbigin, uh, who uh, was a missionary in India, but then who came back to work in the UK and landed in Birmingham, um, he, he spoke into this, said this, the primary action of the church in the world is the action of its members in their daily work. The primary action of the church in the world is not, is not projects we run or services we do, but rather is what you do every day doing it with Jesus. Alan Scott says something similar. He says this, It's time to see everything everywhere filled with ordinary glory. It's time to ordain hairdressers and Uber drivers, engineers and baristas as kingdom carriers. It's time to release filmmakers and poets, lawyers and doctors. It's time to anoint people to teach in church and teach in schools. It's time to recognize apostles and architects. It's time to bless the missionary and the machinist. It's time to pray for the young woman heading to seminary to study theology and for the young man heading to, young man heading to university to study fashion. It's time to ordain the ordinary. We do so knowing that the next great move of God is not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into society, rewriting the story of education in our cities, health in our cities, and business in our cities. God is repositioning the church to reach the whole city with believers communicating, demonstrating, and celebrating the supremacy of Christ in every corner of culture. The apostolic instinct. Sorry, can we, can we, could you read the quote one more time and then I'll just cut it. At that point? Yeah. Have we hit 30? Smooth. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. at 30. So we'll just... My clock is a little behind yours, mate. So no, that's yeah. perfect. That's all right. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Alan Scott says this. It's time to see everything everywhere filled with ordinary glory. It's time to ordain hairdressers and Uber drivers, engineers and baristas as kingdom carriers. It's time to release filmmakers and poets, lawyers and doctors. It's time to anoint people to teach in church and teach in schools. It's time to recognize apostles and architects. It's time to bless the missionary and the machinist. It's time to pray for the young woman heading to seminary to study theology and for the young man heading to university to study fashion. It's time to ordain the ordinary. We do so knowing that the next great move of God is not going to be a movement in the church. It's going to be a movement of the church into society, rewriting the story of education in our cities, health in our cities, and business in our cities. God is repositioning the church to reach the whole city with believers communicating, demonstrating and celebrating the supremacy of Christ into every corner of culture. The apostolic instinct is the bit in us that says we want to be a part of this. We want to be a part of this. Abide in Jesus. Catalyze the church and ordain your ordinary we are responsible for what the church, the ecclesia of Jesus is in our generation. We are responsible for, for carrying forward what we are in this city and at this time. And we can, we can choose. <laughs> we can approach this with the tame vision or the imitation of what we've seen. We can connect with that longing and that hunger in us that just stirs up saying, 
this could be so much more. And we can chase that down. Eyes on Jesus, mobilizing his church and looking to see, Jesus, how do you want to transform everything around me in every moment that I live? Because it's all about you and your kingdom wants to come into every part of our culture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we um, we love what you do and your vision for, for church and your vision for us is at once the most compelling and extraordinary thing and it is the most terrifying thing <laughs> that we've ever heard of. And Father, what I want to pray for us in this moment is that for each one of us that you stir vision in us, Lord, for how we can see our day-to-day -day lives differently for what it looks like in this moment where everything feels so restricted, so locked down, so different, to still live into each moment, Jesus abiding in you and with your imagination filling ours, to see the ordinary and to imagine the extraordinary invading it, to see the broken and to imagine your wholeness engaging it, to see the unjust, and imagine your justice invading it. Holy Spirit, we recognize this is something we can only walk in with your help and your filling and your leadership and your boldness. And so as your church has prayed through the generations, we pray that you would come now and that you would fill your church with boldness, that we may proclaim your wonders fresh in our generation and we may show the city what true life really looks like. Lord Jesus, this is your vision. This is your way. We are after you and we pray in your name. Amen.